Have you ever thought about just quitting your job and starting your own business? I have to imagine you have, I have, I think everybody probably has, and I imagine that very few people actually take that step. I actually read a bumper sticker once that said, the only thing more overrated than natural childbirth is owning your own business. Today's guest is Cody Novini from SoCal Airflow Pros, who did just that. He took action. He was working for one of the largest and most recognized brands in Southern California and really across the country, Service Champions. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, Cody Novini. Hey, this is Cody Novini, and you're listening to the Change Your Filter podcast with Paul Paul. In life, you're dealt a hand of cards. It's what you do with those cards, how you play those cards, when you play those cards, if you play those cards, how you understand those cards. It really matters. And we'll get more into that. But I am so thrilled to introduce you to our guest today. To my knowledge, Cody Novini has never done a podcast. And if I can release this fast enough, this will be his first podcast. But I have no doubt that others will certainly want to hear and share his story. So our guest today is Cody Novini. You've heard a little bit about him already in the intro. But I want to welcome our guest. I also want to thank him for his service in the Marines. And Cody Novini, welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Yeah, I am. I'm thrilled to have you here. I just got to meet you a couple of days ago. And as we talked through how to prepare for this, I have already been sharing part of your story with people. And they're like, send us that podcast as soon as it comes out. So it is out. You are listening to it. You're going to hear the story. But Cody, for our listeners, tell us your story. How did you get to where you are today? How did you get into the trades? Why are we talking today? Let's start there. Three questions all at once. You got it. You've got options. Question number one. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Mission Viejo, California, which is in Orange County, just south of Los Angeles. Uh, went to Mission Viejo High School, joined the Marine Corps right out of high school, enjoyed five years, went all over the world, all over the country, and really wanted to come back to Orange County. This is where I wanted to raise a family, so that's why I chose here. Um, how to get into the trades. I started when I got out of the Marine Corps, I wanted to do some fun and interesting positions. And so I uh, looked into tow truck driver and process server and bodyguarding. I wanted some controversy and some conflict. So I got into bodyguarding and it was very fun up in Hollywood and Beverly Hills and actually traveled a bit for it and uh, it was a lot of fun and a friend of mine who's also a marine said hey uh you're not making much money so you should come do heating and air conditioning with me and uh, he worked at service champions and i joined service champions and picked up really quick and that's how i got into the trades i just said you got it sounds good well i shouldn't have asked three questions because i immediately wanted more clarification after the first question so what led you to choosing the Marines out of high school, were you destined to be in the service or what led you to that? So I guess I'm just a really good follower. My friends, uh, had four really good friends in high school and two were joining the Marine Corps and one was joining the Navy. And I had been accepted to go into Cal State Fullerton for engineering. And I, uh, got really close. I've been a really good student all through high school. 
and I guess I just didn't want to keep going to school. I was tired of, not tired of it, but it's just like, dude, do I really want to go to school for four more years? Let's go and join the Marine Corps with my friends. And that's what I did. And then I shot better than them and got promoted faster than them and did everything faster than these guys who had been preparing for the Marine Corps their whole life. Um, but it was a lot of fun and have no regrets. You mentioned that you wanted at some point controversy and conflict and you grinned for the listeners who are listening and can't see this podcast. Um, is that a theme that you carried through your life? Did you learn that in the military? What were you seeking there? I just wanted to go have fun. I didn't want to go like get in fights or anything, but just go try something that's, uh, that's not going to be the same thing every day. It's not going to be boring. You're just going to go and experience a little bit of the wild side of what goes on in every day in, in America. And on the pre-show preparation for this, I had asked for specific examples of conflict or controversy that you saw in Beverly Hills and you were reluctant to share. So I assume your mind hasn't, you haven't changed your mind since then to tell us any good Hollywood drama. You know what? I really didn't get much. I joined the, you know, in bodyguarding, I almost had nothing uh, special go on. So sorry. Yeah. Uh, no good stories for you there. I try not to make, you know, conversations about myself, but we share some history in that I was a bodyguard. Now, if you had met me in person, you would see I'm very tall. You would not find me intimidating whatsoever. But when you're a bodyguard at a college bar, really your only job is to check IDs, which you don't, and uh, let your friends in for free. So I can claim I was a bodyguard, but really I was more of a, I don't know, a gate agent letting my friends drink. A bouncer. Yeah, a, bou- a bouncer. That, that's what I meant. Not bodyguard, bouncer. Did I say bodyguard earlier? You said bodyguard. That's okay. You know what's interesting about that is like I heard bodyguard. I thought bouncer. Like I thought I was a bodyguard. My brother is a bodyguard and was once a bodyguard for Coolio one night, which is a, a really long story. But so um, you go to service change. So you get into HVAC. What was your experience like? Why did you choose HVAC? I know you said a friend brought you in. What What were your fir- first few years like at Service Champions? Service Champions was a lot of fun. Very motivating. Very push yourself to the next level. Performance. Uh, really hyping up the guys who are crushing it. And made you feel like, you know, I want to do what they're doing. So I'm going to do every single step of the way. What's the roadmap to get there? and following that roadmap and i really enjoyed the first few years there i learned a ton uh, the guys there are really good and i you know you flip leads or whatever and they bring out senior techs to the calls with you and it's like you're sitting there with the best guys possible seeing them in action it's a big difference in the home with the client seeing these guys communicate than training you know, in the morning when you guys all get around and they do role play and such. So that was a, that was a lot of fun. Um, there's a gentleman, Frank Spear. He's still a very good friend of mine. He brought me under his wing and we made a silly little team. There was uh, four or five of us and he called us SEAL Team 6. And we'd show up to the shop extra early in the morning and take motors apart and take systems apart and pull heat exchangers and put them back, you know just get our hands really dirty and see exactly how the systems functioned and why they fail versus just learning how to talk. 
And so we got really technical. It was a lot of fun. What year did you start there? That was 2011. Okay. And I can't wait to get to that part of the story, but when you were there, were there certain disciplines or behaviors that you learned in the military that you took to service champions that helped you or what, what are some of those things that you talk about showing up at the shop early seal team six? <laughs> what was that like? Um, I was very technical cause I worked on F 18s in the Marine Corps. And yep. so I picked up the technical aspect of it very quickly. Um, arriving early is normal. If you're on time, you're late 15 minutes early is on time in the Marine Corps. Yep. So I was always early, had no problem with that. Following the leader, doing what you're told, all those things were instead of being told, here's the steps to get there and cutting out, oh, well, I can cut these corners and I can cut these corners and I can be lazy. I don't have to inspect the far ducks. I don't have to get into the attic. I don't have to crawl around. I, those were never thoughts that passed through my, my, my brain, even though it's you know common in the industry. I just follow the orders that are given and uh, hit every step along the way. And because of that, those were habit and it was discipline and the success rates were much higher because I followed every step. I wasn't cutting things out. And that's a big thing that you still see in the industry is like you see them, the success rates dip on, on different technicians or sales guys or you know, warranties on installers because they're not following the steps. They're cutting corners that for whatever reason, either they were lazy or they think that those steps aren't necessary or whatever, but I, I just never cut corners. Or their compensation plan incentivized that behavior, which seems to be a common problem as well. Yeah. The ethical side of things is obviously huge in the industry. Um, was never a fan of it. I've, you know, worked in places where there's individuals that aren't ethical and it's, you see them excel, but it's like, it's short winded. They, they top out and they can't get past a certain stage. And the ones that have the ethics continue to get the referrals and continue to get, you know, the benefits of being a good moral person, what goes yeah. around comes around. I believe that hundred percent. And we're going to get to what you're doing now, but as you have been in the industry for just a little over 10 years now, would you say that most of the companies you encounter have qualities that resemble more unethical practices or ethical? I think the unethical guys have gotten their stuff caught up to them with reviews from Yelp and Google. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, you can't, you know, go do a thousand jobs a year, lie and cheat and steal and cut corners and it not catch up to you at least a little bit. I think the biggest problem when it comes to the issues in the industry are the guys that think that they're helping homeowners. They really have passion. The homeowner sees it in the, in a, you know, when they're sitting down for a proposal or doing service, they really believe that they're doing the right thing, but they're not as educated as they need to be. So their install doesn't correct the issues the homeowner has. Their tune up doesn't clean the sink, the entire AC off or the entire uh, furnace. And so there are corners not necessarily being cut. It's steps that they don't even know exist. Right. So the homeowners aren't getting what they need because the guy's just not as educated or as experienced as he should be. And I'm talking yeah. guys been doing this 10, 20 years. Right. 
So you go to service champions, you're finding your place after the military, you start making pretty good money and having some success, right? Yes. Very quickly. Very quickly. So describe the progression. So you come in, you're an entry level guy, and then you're making, you know, more money over time and, and making six figures as a technician. Why would you leave? What happened? Oh, so my last year in the Marine Corps, I made $38,000. Um, so doing anything above that was great money to me and exciting. Yeah. yeah. And my first year at Service Champions, 11 months in, I made more money. I made a little over 50 grand. And then I doubled my income for multiple years in a row. And it was fantastic. You know, second year making six figures and then continuing to increase my pay was a lot of fun. Uh, worked really hard, built a lot of great relationships, learned a ton out of there. Some things changed that I didn't understand why they were changing. They were just, you know, changes. And as a technician, I saw them just being changes that I, I wasn't happy with. And I tried to stay for a long time. And there was a manager that I really liked named Loris Castillo, still really good friends. Mm -hmm. He had left. And then I kept fighting to try to get him back because he was really good. He came back. Felt like I had a pretty big hand in that. Um, and then he didn't want to tell me beforehand. He just shows up one day. So I stayed there for, again, for much longer. And then I just, I got burnt out. Uh, it was one thing to get pushed really hard and respected and felt like I was part of the team and appreciated. And then it was another thing to just be pushed really hard and not feel respected or appreciated or part of the team, uh, more like a number. So I just was, you know, I just wanted to spend more time with my family. And I just said, to my wife, we had just had our third kid. I said, I'm not happy. I want to be, I want to see you guys. I don't care what it takes. I just want to be home with the family. And so I took off with, uh, you know, she supports me hundred percent. My wife's fantastic. And, uh, not really with any solid plan in place. I left just to be more of a, a, a father and a husband. You mentioned that there were changes happening that at the time you didn't understand. And it sounds like you understand now. Are you comfortable sharing what some of those changes were and what your opinion was of those changes then versus now? So there was a, you know, we're getting HR comes in and in our training meetings turned into HR meetings. Here's how you're going to get written up. Here's how you're going to get in trouble. And we're sitting there like, why are there all these new rules? What's happening? And it's do this or you're getting written up was the communication. And no one knew that there was a class action lawsuit for meals and breaks. And so we're looking at this, like, why are they being greedy and corporate and, you know, changing our bonus structure so that we can't really hit our bonus. We didn't know that there were salespeople gaming the system and, you know, given huge discounts to boost their success rate so that their bonus at the end of the month was a monster monstrous bonus, but it was hurting the company's numbers. And we didn't, we didn't know those things. They weren't communicated to us. So what on one side as a technician selling a sales technician, what looked like corporate greed and, you know, treating us like a number and you have to be there at this time and you have to be clocked out. We're writing you up almost every day. You're coming in for one minute off of 
you know, arriving at 701 instead of seven and just all these things. Then when you get on the other side as a business owner and you understand, oh, that's what was happening. That's why they did it. You know, I now understand and know and appreciate. And I've called Leland and talked to him about, you know, hey, I understand. Thank you for teaching me the things you did. Um, you know, I appreciate you being a, a role model and here's why, why I left. And so we're on great terms, but, uh, you know, at the time as a technician and understanding it and it wasn't communicated well, it was just shoved down your throat. Right. And now you understand that situation. Correct. So that led you to going down a different path which would eventually lead you to where you are now leading a, a market leading company. But talk to me about the process of leaving there and where does Las Vegas and blackjack come into play? And I have waited, what are we at a half an hour here? I waited a half an hour to talk about blackjack cause I'm so interested in it. We opened with a, you know, a reference to dealing the cards you were or playing the cards you were dealt. So talk to me about those, first few years in forming your company with young kids at home and a wife who supports you? So we had my daughter Madison in October. I took a month off work at Service Champions and hung out with the family. Great time. It was absolutely like one of the best months of my life. So anyways, my friend says, hey, I've been counting cards. You should do it with me. And so I start studying and learning and practicing and I ordered this whole home kit and I'm watching videos and I'm practicing every evening. I'm recording my numbers like I recorded my numbers at service visits. And so I have notebooks still showing, uh, you know, what those numbers looked like during practice. And I start going to casinos and with my first bankroll, which was $3,500 in paternity leave money from the government. Uh, my first night I won four grand and I was like, holy cow, this works. So. I'm by day service technician, by night blackjack gambler, jumping in my car, racing down to the casino an hour away, gambling for maybe an hour, and then driving an hour home. And uh, I tucked the kids in first before I took off, so then it was a lot of late nights. Uh, it was really fun. We were making great money. You have some losses, but for the most part, we were far up. And again. I mean, we had separate bankrolls, my friend and I, but we just often went together and we kind of helped support each other. Like you get greedy, you start winning a bunch of money, you get greedy. So that's one of the biggest things we learned. You'd be up a few grand and you're like, oh, just 500 more. And you end up in trying to earn 500 more, losing what you had won, but also losing the bankroll you came with. And so greed was learned during blackjack gambling and controlling it. Can you break down what card counting is if someone's not familiar? Yeah. So in blackjack, I believe the percentages are you have a 48% chance of winning. So it doesn't matter what you're betting or if you're winning or not. The longer you play, the more the casino's statistically going to win. It's a numbers game. It's against you. Correct. So if you count cards, you have a, it increases your advantage by only a few percent, but now you're at 51, 
chance of winning. So the more you play, again, back to the numbers, the more you're going to win. Of course, sometimes you're going to lose, but the majority of the time you're going to win. And so basically, it's what card counting is, is there's two books. One book says, hey, if you're dealt this number, and let's say you have 11 in front of you, and the dealer is showing a six, the blackjack book says, here's what you're supposed to do. And the counting blackjack book is slightly different. On all the different hands, it's slightly different. So there's a high count, you do this. If there's a low count, you do that. So we just, uh, yeah, it just changes the odds in your favor. You bet more when you have better odds and you win a lot more and you lose smaller hands because you're betting smaller when the odds are against you. So it's a ton of fun, huge thrill. First time I bet that first night, I had a $1,600 hand and then my heart's beating out of my chest. I'm like freaking out. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I let my hand go of the stack and the cards start going. That means you can't take your money back. And I'm just like, oh man. And then I won it and like huge sigh of relief. Oh, okay, good. Everything I trained for is working. Okay, cool. Oh my goodness. Um, but it was a ton of fun. I mean, I've hit blackjack on $10,000 hands before and I've, I've lost $10,000 hands before. So yeah. Um, great times. Uh, the greed thing was huge. So we started realizing why are we losing? Oh, it's because we got greedy. And yeah. so we had a number every time. This is how much we want to win. Once we won that much, thank you. Cash out. Doesn't matter how good it is. You walk. Right. And that was when we were most successful. Why don't more people do it? Is it really hard to memorize and very technical? I don't think so, but we're all different. Math is extremely easy, like easy for me. I'm just, I'm really good with math. I have good memory. I can focus on that. In counting cards, you have three things happening, more than three things. But if you're only focused on your number, like the dealer's just going to stare at you and be like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? And the pit boss is watching you. They know what you're doing. You're more likely to get caught. So you have to be paying attention to your surroundings. You have to be having a conversation with the dealer and the pit boss that's coming over, building a relationship, building rapport, paying attention to the numbers, knowing what your next bet's supposed to be, focusing on all these things all at the same time. And so if you can't track all that, I don't recommend it. Um, the, the casinos love people that are mediocre at counting cards because they go in all excited and they bet big and they lose like crazy. couple of early wins. And they're exposed. Uh, yeah. So how did that go? That went on for a couple of years while you started your current company or what was that like? So I'm winning in blackjack. We're making a bunch of money, having fun. I'm still working. I'm killing it at work, doing great. But my morals are low and the support is low. And eventually I'm just like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm, you know, winning money at blackjack and playing poker. So financially, I don't need any, I don't need this this job anymore. I'm going to go figure out what we want to do. I'm going to spend time with the family. So I leave service champions. I go and just enjoy time with the family, taking the kids to school, going and surfing, heading down to the casino for the day, coming back, picking the kids up, family dinners together, casino after the kids are in bed, all sorts of fun stuff. I just started trying different things. I hit five casinos in one night once. 
uh, made eight grand in one night, drove all over the place. Just, it was a lot of fun driving my car and racing around at different casinos. Uh, so we're doing great. My friends are calling me, Hey, my air conditioner, this and my air conditioner, that, and I'm fixing people's air conditioners. And my friends are referring me and, you know, Hey, my parents need this and my neighbor needed that. And then, you know, more referrals are coming in and I'm so, okay. So I go get a, a go lease a, a work truck, turn it into a work vehicle, start doing heating and air conditioning. I post an ad on Craigslist for veteran heating and air conditioning repair. And it just starts blowing up because America wants to support veterans, which I greatly appreciate. So we're, we're having a lot of fun again. This is uh, just, you know, a very relaxed, fun time of my life. The money's great. I got no overhead. The casinos are supporting me. And uh, <laughs> the casinos are, sorry. Don't get me wrong. I, so good. I, I walked to the casino or driven to the casino and lost 25 grand in a day and driven home with home. a negative, you know, it's, but and that mentally will beat you up for a while until you make sure you focus on, I drove here. They didn't do it. I've literally lost a ton of money and looked at the, at the dealer and said, Hey, thanks for a great time. Have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. And, uh, you know, you can't be a jerk. You can't get mad at them that you walked in and made a bad decision. And right. so the numbers were still for me. That one time when I lost, I'm like, call the boss, call the host over. I want some, some credits back. And he's like, dude, you, that's my money. You won back to me. Like you're still up on the year. Like, no, <laughs> I'm not giving you credits. Okay, fine. I understand. I'm off topic. No, you're, you're fine. So what happened? Did you, it finally ran its course, right? Oh, so I'm doing heating and air conditioning. I'm now so busy with heating and air conditioning that I have to focus on the business and yep. who do I hire? How do I hire? I'm stuck in my garage. Now I like move all this stuff out of my garage so I can fill half of it with parts and materials and make, make things more efficient so that we're prepared for the day. We don't have to keep going over to the parts house throughout installs. And we're having variable speed communicating system install training in my living room with the team. Wow. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. I think we had six guys on that training in my living room it was funny i'm still you know i've drastically reduced the amount of uh of casinos i'm visiting but uh you know i'm doing way more heating and air conditioning I, i'll still go enjoying the casinos i don't go very often i wouldn't go hey i'm going to casino tonight for entertainment if i'm you know in an area of casinos for conference or whatever's going on then i'll hit the tables but you've been kindly escorted out of casinos as well, right? I have kindly been escorted out of one. Well, just one. Okay. Just one. Got it. I got, got it. really good at not being seen. I'm sure after this, I'm going to get blackballed by a bunch. Hopefully <laughs> casino guys and heating and air conditioning guys don't hang out very often. Look, I, I hope this has wide distribution. I hope lots of people listen to it. I doubt any pit bosses are consuming this content, but you never know. You just never know yeah. how much of a reach you have. So let's talk about the business. At some point, the business, it, this becomes more than something you're running out of your garage. The garage turns into a shop. Six guys turn into what? Talk about the progression of the company and tell us about where it is now. Yeah. So 
every summer, not summer, every spring we would grow healthy and in a way that I knew we'd be able to keep people busy during the fall. I never laid anyone off in the fall. I'm very proud of that. I've seen a lot of big places do it, huge layoffs in the fall. So very proud of the fact we never had to do that. Um, every year we grew quite a bit and we got to the point in 2020 where we were at 19 employees and we said, do we want to keep growing or do we want to sit at 19 and just enjoy our size and how much fun we have and kind of, you know, it's just a small family and we're so close. And we had a, a meeting at dinner. The team said, you know, we're really happy. Our clients are really happy. We shouldn't limit the community from what we're doing. And we all, you know, just said, okay, cool. Big change is coming. Let's go help more people out. Let's go hire more people, change employees' lives, give them great opportunity that they that they never have, give them more time with their family, yet more money because of how we function and go help a lot more clients get taken care of by the way that we run this business. We know what our competition is. We got to go help people. You've talked about the culture at SoCal Airflow Pros. Tell me about the culture. What's different about your culture? What's different about working for you than working for any other company in Southern California? I think one of the biggest things is that I've been a service tech, entry level, middle of the road, top selling tech. I've been an installer. I've been in the call center. I've ran the books. I've managed everybody. Coming from the Marine Corps is like, uh, you don't do it for the money. It's more of a selfless, here's the position that needs filled. Take it. Take initiative to move to the next step. And the military really built that in me. And in heating and air conditioning, if you have a sales manager that's never done heating and air conditioning, he doesn't know how to lead that team. And, you know, a, a businessman who's never touched a tool before can't appreciate the service guys and the installers and how much they do and how much goes into it. And if you are an installer running a company that's never had the mental grind of sitting with a, an exhausting client through a sales presentation where you walk out and you get in your vehicle and you almost just fall asleep. You know, it, it's hard to appreciate the team and I'm a yeah. guy for the troops and I understand what they go through on a daily basis. So they feel appreciated. They, they are respected. You know, the team understands that I understand what they're going through. And they get that support and they get the love and they know that they can come to me or their managers with anything and get things taken care of. My general manager, Chad Smock, we've known each other for pretty much the entire time. Both of us have been in the industry. We met at service champions. He's in the same boat. He's been through everything I've been through. So it, the team loves that he has that experience as well. So what's different here is we want them to have that work-life balance. Right. But when they work, we have structure, guidance, support, everything in place by a team that has been where they've been and has the ability to teach them and show them the path of how to be successful while treating them like normal humans and knowing what realistic expectations are. 
what are some of the tools, organizations, groups that you have been a part of over the years that you used in the early years to get to where you are now? I, uh, I was doing pretty well. And then I felt like I kind of either hit a plateau or needed some guidance. And so I went to get my master's degree. I sat in one night class and I was like, this is going to be a huge waste of time. Of course, I'll get something out of it, but the time that's going to be spent, I'm out. And instantly, I think that night I looked up like something along the lines of master's degree of heating and air conditioning and the EGIA popped up. And so I joined right away and started going to trainings and watching the trainings and seeing Drew Cameron and Gary Ellix and Weldon Long really crushing it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, these guys are awesome. And then I'm learning from the videos and learning what a KPI is and how to you know communicate with homeowners and just a lot of great training and business methods. And I go to my first training and Gary Ellix is saying, oh, well, the KPI, and I'm like, still trying to learn what is a KPI? I don't understand this term. Yes. And it took me a little while and I'm just like, well, I'll just shut my mouth because I'll be embarrassed in this training. But so the EGIA helped tremendously and uh, the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, I learned how to do heat load calculations, how it's important and was going to their conferences, which is where I met Ken Goodrich. And he's been a great mentor and role model for me. And then uh, the National Comfort Institute, NCI, huge, amazing training on ductwork, airflow, how to balance a system, how to provide your clients comfort, keep a system alive. And so those are the biggest groups that have helped guide me, train me, point me in the right direction. Is NCI growing in popularity and understanding or are newer companies not even hearing about it? I don't hear, I only hear about NCI from people like you who are like serious, technical, want to do it the right way, care about air balancing, those sort of things. Talk about NCI. It's frustrating because in the past month I've interviewed installers that have been doing this 10 years and service techs have been doing this 10 and seven years. And I explained, Hey, we're going to get you really smart. We nerd out in heating and air conditioning. We're very technical NCI, ACCA. And they're like, I've never heard any of these terms and it's frustrating. Uh, the small groups typically can't afford to train or they don't even know that the training is there and don't have the time to even do research to find out how to learn a lot of the big groups when it comes to the numbers, don't want to invest that money into that level of training. They invest in sales training. Right. And also there's the aspect of, okay, well, if let's say I do an install according to NCI's methods, well, now the system's going to breathe really well, have great, you know, perfect static pressure super low wear and tear and it's going to last a long time. Well, how am I going to sell them a new system? I want to sell, sell, sell. And, uh, it would, you know, so I don't want to sell my client a system again. I want my client to brag about me and what we did for them for 20 plus years and get so many more referrals out of that client than one referral of reselling that client in 10 to 12 years. And is that scalable? Is that something that will keep you from being a $100 million company or does it even matter? 
I'm sure there are smarter people that can answer that question better than I can. In my opinion, I'd much rather get a dozen referrals from that client every year than a dozen referrals from that client for a few years. And then they trickle off because the performance wasn't as good. And my guys are back to sell them things that they didn't need. And, you know, that's, that client is one referral, but an extremely happy client is dozens of referrals every single year that that system is still crushing it. Yes. You know, I, I ask that question. I try not to make too many statements on here, but I feel like you get to a certain revenue point and you have to shift as an organization to the minimum viable performance, lowest common denominator, simple, least amount of variability, single stage, 80%, plug it in in a half day and go do it again. But that's a, a sidebar. Um, I want to go back. You mentioned meeting Ken Goodrich at ACA and him being a, a mentor and a friend of yours. What does that relationship look like? What is what does mentoring what does mentoring look like from someone like Ken? Um, and it's a loaded question because I see a guy like Ken and I think, gosh, you got to be so busy. How are you investing this time in people like Cody who are starting their business? So, what's that relationship look like? I met Ken at an ACCA conference, and he told me the board of directors walked up on the stage and he said, "Hey, you need to get up there." They need young blood. They need your thoughts. They need how your brain functions and what you want to do with the industry. And uh, I just tried to get, okay, well, wow, that's going to take, I don't know, five, 10 years. I'll just start getting very involved in supporting the ACCA and trying to help out and talking to people. And within a year, I'm nominated and selected onto the board. And so that was really cool. I text Ken. I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm on the board now. Uh, what's the next step? He says, cool, read my book. So I read his book. Okay, cool. What's the next step? Okay, do this. Okay, I complete, you know, sometimes there's months between these text messages or phone calls going back and forth, but it, it was big picture stuff, not where are your success rates out? What's your training like? It was, you know, here's a big thing. Figure out how to get there. Okay, so I figure out all the steps to get to that one position and hit them up. Cool, what's the next, what's the next thing to do? And at one point I text him, I'm like, okay, well, I've kind of delegated most things off. I, I don't really have anything to do today. Like, what do you do when you've replaced yourself and you don't really have tasks to do? All right, cool. And him and Leland Smith both told me very similar things. Go to the numbers, start reviewing everything. Go, you know, find out why we didn't hit it this month. Find out how you're going to take that sales guy and get him to the next level. Figure out all these extra things. So was, again, just great guidance. Um, I feel that Ken Goodrich is a guy who has been extremely successful um, and is just giving back to the community through how much he's helped me, how much I've seen him help my peers. The ACCA has mixed groups, which is peer groups, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 12 contractors in a group. It's very intimate of sharing numbers and very confidential and such. And Ken Goodrich is flying over from California to Louisiana to come and give us a free presentation for a few hours on how to help our group in his yeah. jet, paying all the fuel and the pilots and everything. Didn't ask us for anything other than, hey, stay, you know, communicate with us. He's just giving back. Now he was detoured because of tornadoes 
But uh, so he went to Texas and jumped on the Zoom and he stayed on the Zoom with us for three hours, just giving us amazing guidance. And just two months ago, I hosted my mixed group and he came out, hung out with us, brought Duncan and Landon Brewer. They stayed for five hours mm -hmm. just to share knowledge and give back to the community. And who does that? Somebody that's just looking at numbers and profits and only cares about those things versus cares about making an impact on the community. You know, it's obvious that Ken cares about this industry and what he's done and what will go forward from, you know, from everything he's giving back versus how does he make more money today? Yeah, it's from my vantage point, pretty genuine. Now, maybe he's just investing in you because you can fix his jet. There's my joke. <laughs> PSA for those listening, Ken and I host a walking meeting every Friday morning at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific, and we just walk and talk about the industry. It's called a walk and talk. So slide into the DMs or reach out to us. We'll get you a link to it, put it in a Facebook group, but we do a walking meeting and Ken just talks about whatever. And it's, there's no agenda. Um, sometimes I just, I scratch my head. I'm like, man, how can someone with such a, a big complex organization and now, you know, reporting to some pretty significant stakeholders, how can they just give this time away for free? It's pretty inspiring. And here I am running around talking about, I don't have any time. <laughs> Back to a couple questions as we round out here, we're coming up on an hour. I want to respect your time. I know you've got a meeting coming up. Um, you talk about culture and you were very specific about saying you've created a safe place for your employees to be themselves in a world where sometimes you just can't be yourself. What do you mean by that? Uh, the media and politicians battling each other and hating each other and just gobbling each other up. And, you know, the media is showing not Republicans, they're showing lunatics and not Democrats, the lunatic side of the Democrats, those far outside individuals of both sides of politics are obviously crazy. If you sit a Republican and a Democrat together that are just regular folks, they'll just have a conversation and help and discuss things and understand each other and actually get somewhere in the world. My team is Republicans, Democrats, black, white, males, females, gay, straight, all of the above. And they respect each other and they're totally open to being who they are, religious or not religious. We have company prayer after the meetings every two weeks and some stay and some don't and no one talks bad about anyone else they respect each other and it's uh it's very healthy it's awesome and you know so there are some individuals that are like hey i'm not religious uh, let me experience this and then cool they start to experience something whether they stay or not is completely up to them but they have the opportunity and we have individuals with personal issues, which everyone has, and professional issues, and we talk about them privately or openly, however they feel comfortable and help each other out. Hey, I had that issue when I was married with this situation, or I had that issue with raising my kids at that age. And, you know, my landlord tried to do that to me too. Here's what I did. It's almost like peer groups of ACA mix groups or service roundtable, but it's of personal situations. And so 
we support each other. People are open being themselves. They don't have to worry about, you know, hey, my girlfriend dumped me, bringing that to work. No, it doesn't affect their performance, but they can get to work early or call me on an afternoon or talk to each other that evening. And I'll have a lead installer take a helper installer to dinner and they'll talk about it and they'll help motivate each other. I don't have to be involved in everything, but when they want to get me involved, I'll get involved and help them out as best as I can. But I mean, I've give, given personal finance classes to my team, leadership classes, how to handle different situations of the home, plumbing issues, even though we don't do plumbing, just all sorts of things to support them as a person. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been very rewarding. Our culture, I would, if there's a contest, I would enter the contest at any expense with extreme confidence that we would win, uh, that our culture is the absolute best of any place I've ever experienced. I know Ken would say, hey, I don't understand this kumbaya culture thing, but that's okay. I'll teach it. How did you set the tone for that without it feeling weird or like a cult? <laughs> We were small, there's three of us. So we're friends talking to each other. And then there's six of us and we're friends talking to each other, respecting the positions, but okay, well now there's nine of us and hey, welcome to the family. And you know, let's talk about things. Okay, well we're down to eight, but well now we're up to 12. And it's, it just always, we never doubled really fast. It grew healthy and organic at the way of, okay, our family is now 18 people. Like it's still a family. Okay. Well now there's 22. All we did was add four people to this big family. And now we're at 36 employees. It still feels the very, very similar. The team still takes care of each other. And in the beginning, there was no structure. You know, I didn't start actually paying attention to real business practices until about four years in business. So we probably would have, well, we would have had way bigger growth in those, you know, if we would have been real in the first four years, but we were just playing and having fun and enjoying life. But there was a point where people wanted benefits and to be able to afford more things. So we had to get focused on real business stuff. But the, the, I guess the growth has always been so organic and healthy and our interview process is, Hey, you're joining a family. This is uh you know, where we train you, not just in profession, but as a person, some people don't have parents or they have really lousy parents. And so they need mentors, and guides, and you know, someone to support them. Since we provide that, the people that I've provided that mentorship to are now providing it to others. And it just continues and it's just, just stayed part of the culture. You seem like obviously as a military guy, pretty self-reliant, but you've got a one year anniversary of something significant, a change in your life. Talk to me about the one year anniversary of being involved with your church and what impact has that had on you as a a leader, as a father and so on? Like I said, I'm a great follower and uh, Jocko Willink says you have to be a great follower to be a great leader. Leadership is one of my best aspects. A great friend of mine who's in the air force or prior air force, has been telling me about this church and was like, Cody, you just got to come with me. So I just, I go with her. We go to church. It's uh, that was late May a year ago. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I have zero faith in my life up to this point. And I'm just sitting there and experiencing like, 
I won't get into the details. We're like, this is awesome. I know nothing about this. I don't believe any of this yet in my life. I have zero experience, but this is awesome. And I tell my wife and we start going to church and we're like, whether this is real or not, this is very motivating. It's a great community. They're so positive. Everybody's so happy and supportive. If I have, you know, the biggest thing I can lose is that I'm a more moral person and I'm better for the community. Okay, cool. Let's go. Let's get involved. And long story short, through different things, I have confirmation of faith. And uh, at that point, I'm like, cool. I believe 100%. I'm 100% in. And I went full throttle and did every single thing I possibly could. My faith grew extremely rapid and has been you know, very supportive of my newer lifestyle. And so I always thought, you know, be very careful with money and everything that happens is on your shoulders. And so through COVID, it was me figuring every single thing out. How are these 16 families going to pay their mortgage and have groceries? That's the only thing we need to worry about. And so we made sure that that was possible. But now being a, a man of faith, you, you put all those burdens at his feet and you have faith in him and he'll give you guidance and you just follow the lead and do as you're told in a way of it's like a relationship and I just follow the lead and I have discipline and I do the right things and I'm rewarded heavily for it and I'm not only talking about financial reward just feeling good about the helping people out and the things that you're doing and supporting community and serving the church and taking care of someone on the side of the road, you know, and coaching your team. So you've been through an incredible transformation over the last 10 years, highlighted by a transformation of your own personal faith. That's helping you lead your company, maybe in a different way. Now, what are you most excited or energized about as you think about your company and your industry from your perspective now? I really look forward to growing what we've done at a rapid pace and making it much larger than it is. I think that um, having an organization where people can be themselves and be different and get along with each other and not judge each other, if that can grow at a pace that is eventually seen nationwide, I want it to be something that kind of supports you know, people thinking that... Uh, they can do the right thing, be a little bit more old school, not have to worry about all these crazy changes happening in the world that companies don't have to only be corporate. You can be uh, have an absolutely fantastic culture and it's a big company. And so that there's I want to like reassure for the the citizens of the country that it's it's possible the world hasn't gotten or the country hasn't gotten away from us. And that'll take a lot of time to grow that at a rapid pace, but I'm working on it and that would be fantastic. I think it's a mixture of courage and faith. Yeah. As we close out here, do you see any changes coming your way as an operator of a business that are good or bad or any headwinds or tailwinds, anything in the future that you're kind of preparing for or what? What should, if you're running this business, what should you think about that you're not thinking about now if you're an owner of a home service company? Electrification. Interesting. Government. Yep. 
they're getting in very big. The changes of SEER happening in the beginning of the year, in my opinion, are a great change. I don't think that people should be offered really low-end equipment, and the folks that are offered really low-end equipment typically by the low-end guys that don't have education and don't even do a good install. So bumping that up just decreases the price gap between the good guys and the cheap guys and helps clients, you know, stay away from the cheap guys that are going to rip them off. I don't mean intentionally, but the guys that are trying hard but don't have the knowledge of how to do it the right way. The government and all their changes, what I've experienced, because I was big, huge contact for the ultra low NOx change in Southern California, they're going to do what they want to do. So trying to persuade them is going to be difficult without a very large amount of power and money. And so see what they're doing. And instead of wasting your time fighting it, just, okay, why are they doing this? What are the next steps? All right, I'm going to adjust my company and my business so that we're handling that the right way. That's why we put in heat pumps. It's the future of heating and air conditioning in Southern California in a perfect climate. It doesn't snow here. So that's why we're doing heat pumps like crazy. And everybody's like, why are you doing heat pumps? Well, first off, it's the perfect system for this climate. And second off, it's the future of heating and air conditioning in this area. So I'm not going to waste my time with stepping stones. We're just going straight to the finish line. You are clearly having an impact on your employees' lives and within the walls of your company. If you could have an impact across the industry and leave a lasting mark like a guy like Ken Goodrich, what would be what would be that impact? What would be your desired legacy? I'm not someone who desires a legacy. As we close, as you look back on the last seven years, what would you change? What would you do differently? I spent the first three or four years thinking I had the secret sauce. The other guys are doing it wrong. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody anything that I'm doing. I'm not going to communicate with people. When I would meet people, I'd, you know, different contractors, I'd just sit and listen. They'd ask questions and I'd turn it around to questions on them and just listen. I didn't want to share anything. And it was selfish. But it also held me back from learning and being more open to what they're telling me and, and to learn from them. And I didn't start really excelling until I started listening and shutting my mouth and paying attention to what they're saying and then providing feedback. Providing feedback got professionals to tell me, great idea, but in reality, here's why that's a bad idea. And tell me that I'm wrong or tell me how I can improve or tell me what changes need to be made so I could humbly listen and learn from professionals and grow and improve. Perfect. So in closing, the actual closing here, if people want to get in touch with you and learn about whatever, how to run a business like you are running in one of the most competitive markets, how would you prefer they reach out to you? I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of marketers try to pick up my contact information. So I would say contact somebody that knows me and they'll get you to me. Meet me at a conference. Come talk to me. Maybe hit me up on Facebook. But the best way is, uh, you know, in person, find me at a conference, go get educated and, uh, and come chat with me. That's amazing. Thank you so much. So um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed getting to know our guest, Cody Novini. 
And if you want to get to know him, you better ask somebody who knows him or track him down somewhere. But um, Cody, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story and your perspective and your your honesty. And, and one of the most important factors here is thank you for your service to our country. You're welcome. Listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, try to find Cody. Find him online. Go to Southern California. Check around Orange County. Or leave a five-star review with encouraging text on the App Store, and I will send you his personal cell phone number. Uh, So just go to the App Store, scroll down to the bottom, click five-star. Someone left me a three-star review before the episode even aired a few weeks ago. So now I know what it feels like to be a business owner getting a bad Yelp review. So listeners, thank you for listening to the Change Your Filter podcast. This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Contractor Commerce, plug and play online stores for contractors. We see a future where every contractor has an online store. 